to episode 96 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 3rd of August, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Faden. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yes, you're not going mad. We did record this two weeks ago, but uh, Graham wanted the time off to go to France. So I thought, fuck it, let's record two back to back and let's all have the week off. So maybe you're in France now, Graham, or maybe you're not. Who knows? Maybe you're stuck there. Maybe you're in a detention center. (laughs) (laughs) So if any big news stories have happened, then yeah, we're not going to be talking about them. Maybe we will when we come back in another couple of weeks. Uh, So I thought we'd do something different again. Hopefully by now you have heard the latest episode of Late Night Linux Extra that I did with my friend Kyle. So let's talk a bit about that because I think that he is the target audience for desktop Linux, as in the non-dev, the non-sysadmin target audience. If we want to expand the use of desktop Linux, we need to get relatively normal people who are a bit technical, okay, and maybe come into it through privacy, privacy, which are whatever you want to say, that angle. But I, th- I think that he is your typical person. Well, I'll play a couple of clips from this. I started by asking him why he wanted to get into Linux in the first place. It seemed like it was a more private option, like a truly private option, where I was at the point that I couldn't even trust my operating system. It didn't matter if I used Signal or Tor or any other encryption services since I was on Windows. And I read about Linux from time to time, and it always just been something that was, I didn't know much about it. It was never had much interest. But at that point in my privacy journey, I made the move. So do you all agree then that this is who we should be chasing? It's a bit of a complicated answer. um, And I don't want to talk over what we might talk about later. I think the danger with going for that is that there's a certain kind of expectation, which I think Kyle really suffered from that he can kind of swap out Windows and drop in Linux as his privacy conscious operating system and feel good about it. And that's just not going to work. So it needs to be something more than that. And maybe that's something we've done wrong, you know, in, in that we haven't taken care to make it Windows 10, only open source and privacy focused, because that seemed to be what he was expecting. And it isn't what we give him. But isn't that what the likes of Zorin are for? You know, you you can make it behave more like Windows than your typical Linux, you know, GNOME experience or whatever. Yeah, but it's not. It's those. It's the small things that you just get used to from using an operating system day in day out for years. You can make it kind of look somewhat familiar. You can you know replace the Explorer link with Firefox, but we're never going to be able to replace it enough to satisfy those people who just want Windows ten open source. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that. Joe, you're right that that is the exact sort of people that we should be targeting, people who are able to understand that things are different and why they're different and that they're going to have to learn something new. But equally, Graham is absolutely spot on that um, what most people seem to want, and having asked quite a lot of these people, what most, most people do want is just Windows. It needs to look like Windows. It needs to act like Windows. And a lot of people are just not interested in putting any more effort into computers than they have already. Uh, they they don't like them. They don't have any interest in how they work. They just it's just a tool, and it shouldn't involve thinking and learning and applying yourself. Well, it's interesting because this is something else that he said. Let me play another clip. It seems like a lot of distributions try to change the way that Windows look just for the sake of not looking like Windows 10 or Windows 7. 
And I just feel like that's a bad move because it's, I mean, for instance, Ubuntu, the stock GNOME doesn't even have a minimize button. You're, you're intended to either use hotkeys or go to the bottom taskbar or left taskbar, wherever you have it, and click on it. It just seems like for the sake of being different, they make things less intuitive. Is that not a fair criticism? Well, I mean, Microsoft go to quite great lengths to make Windows not look like Windows when they refresh it. And the the learning curve is perhaps less steep between Windows 7 and Windows 10, for example. And if you look at the difference between, say, Ubuntu 17.04 and Ubuntu 20.04, I would say that the difference is quite a lot less. And... Um, the operating systems are more consistent on Linux. But yes, there are different desktop environments and they serve, well, well they serve the same purpose, but they differentiate themselves in, in different ways. So I, yeah, I know where he's coming from. I understand his point, but I don't think that they do it just for the sake of it. I also really felt this was like a cultural difference. I mean, I think it's, this, it's the reason why I still run Windows 10 to some extent and Mac OS is to to keep on top of what's changing. And there are elements in Windows 10 and Windows th decades that drive me up the wall. You know, I could, I could list them. And that's basically what Kyle does when he's talking about using Linux. But you work around all of that when it's big. It's like your culture. You kind of just accept it. it's part of the norm. And then moving to another operating system that isn't the same, you kind of blame the operating system for not being like that. But really, it's a, there's a huge cultural difference that perhaps we're not always aware of or sensitive to. And there, are, I, I, you know, Windows 10 drives me balmy with some of the things that it does much worse, I would say, than Linux does. Have they still got those 32 by 32 jaggy icons in the control panel? Yeah, and the settings and device panels... Oh, the dynamic hardware loading, and and also he kind of later on. No, I don't want to. I don't want to criticize him because I think the points he's making are very fair, and we actually need to address them. And I think this is your point, Joe. Um, but it's, I suppose, it's to do with setting expectations or maybe looking at this from a different angle. Well, one of his really scathing criticisms came from when he started talking about uh, KDE and Plasma. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so let's hear that. So I like the Kubuntu, the Dolphin file manager. But it even had quirks about it that, which I mean, sometimes it would hang or just crash more than Windows 10 would crash. It just feels like beta software. Every single distribution I've tried has felt like beta software catching up to basic features that we're used to on Windows or Mac. Is he holding it wrong, Phelan? He's a liar is what he is. <laughs> <laughs> I like, no, again, I mean, I don't want to be nice to him, but I will be nice to him in the fact that yeah, it's obviously his experience. His experience has been a bit ropey by the sounds of it. Because, I mean, if he expects that a KD developer would build that and release the software that crashed all the time on their machine, then, like, no, w nobody would do that. I don't get crashes on my machine whatsoever. I think I've had two in the entire year. So I think there's definitely something up with his machine. Either he's got some strange chipset on his motherboard, he's got a weird... Uh, graphics card like in I don't know an NVIDIA and maybe it's not fully supported by the proprietary driver on Linux I don't know what it is but that's not normal but what about the accusation that all distros feel like they are beta and not quite there yet Windows looks like beta I'm, I, all stuff I've heard of the Mac where you know you've got a high DPI screen and not everything is high DPI and you know load up Sage on a Windows 10 high DPI desktop and it looks like it's about the size of a postage stamp on certain areas and 
all software's buggy because it's written by people. So I don't think we're any worse, really. I mean, I certainly don't see any of that from my day to day. And I've been using Linux full time since 2007 for my own side of things, but I've been using it since 1997 easily. So, and I don't see these all the time. So, so yeah, for me, it's strange. Maybe I'm compensating in some way and getting around things, but I don't think so. No, I think it's, 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 you know, there's problems with Windows in a similar way, but he's used to working around them or ignoring them or, or he understands them, whereas he doesn't understand them in Linux, which makes them more of a roadblock, makes it more of a, um, more friction. Well, I guess take my example of Windows, where I paid in the Microsoft Store for a fully licensed copy that won't authenticate anymore, and I've now been ripped off by 140 quid. I still want my damn money back. And, and I agree with you about stability as well. I think, you know, all of us, I don't have any problems with my, and I run Plasma, I don't have any problems. I sometimes have problems with the OpenGL compositing, but that's my evil proprietary NVIDIA drivers. In the full interview, he talks about uh, when Linux goes wrong and he felt that it was irreparably broken, whereas Windows, he felt that he had a mechanism to get back to a working system, but whereas Linux, he didn't. You know, you could, you had to Google it, you had to drop to a command line and you had to work some magic to try and get this thing back. But actually, most people said just reinstall it. Now that feeling is very real and I think that Linux needs to do a lot of work on that front. And people are doing that. Fedora are working on their um, unbreakable OS, and Snaps are working on the sort of similar problem in a different way. But yeah, in, in that respect, Windows is reliable, that you've always got this option to boot into some kind of safe mode, and however it works, it will get you back to where you were. And I remember in the bad old days of Linux that you would fire it up and install a new kernel and maybe it would boot and maybe it wouldn't and then you'd spend the next two days trying to get it working again and that was the fun bit but for normal people that isn't fun and if you have to do that once you'll probably just drop the whole os and never go back to doing it but isn't it a case with linux that it's so easy to boot into a live environment back up the stuff that you need to the dot files whatever new can pave then reboot, update, you can be back and running within like half an hour. Whereas with Windows, it's such a, a huge ordeal to reinstall it that it's probably worth fixing it. If you look up a dictionary for Nuke and Pave, it is Windows. That was always the OS that you had to reinstall every six months because of all the cruft that used to build up in the registry and stuff. I think saying just drop to a command line and copy the dot files off is <laughs> writ large the problem with Linux. Well, no, I said to boot into a live environment, a live, in, you know, Ubuntu installer or whatever, and then you can access the files, copy them onto a flash drive or whatever, and then you can pave the internal drive. And, you know, it's so easy to do that. Is that just a cultural thing for me? Because I'm just so used to doing that, maybe. Yes, I think it is. <laughs> I don't think you can repair Windows if it's broken, though, because you don't have the ability to root around inside it. I think maybe some experts can, but I, I certainly wouldn't. If I had a Windows system that was giving me any trouble at all, I would just reinstall it. That would be my go-to. But that's because I don't know how to fix it. I've never spent time doing that. They've got GUI tools to let you do this, and they do quite a good job of detecting a broken boot state. And they will let you roll back to a previous known good. And that's been there since you know, the NT4 days and does actually work. And you could do the same thing in Linux. You could choose to boot the previous kernel, for example, 
but all of that's hidden away in a mysterious grub file with some kind of ancient text um, menu system with bizarre options tagged on the end that just don't make sense to normal people. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use a distro like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS or FreeBSD or you can even upload your own custom image. Or you can use their one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lampstacks, WordPress, Discourse, or GitLab. I've been using DigitalOcean for years now, and in that time, they've added tons of new features, things like managed databases and Kubernetes, object storage, and recently, Virtual Private Cloud, which allows you to create multiple private networks for your account or team. The droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to 192 gigabytes of RAM with 32 CPU cores and 12 terabytes of storage. But you can add block storage or object storage as you need it. And if you need particularly high amounts of RAM or CPU, they have droplets optimized for that too. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, so I asked him about gaming because that is supposedly getting really amazing these days and with Proton and everything. And um, a lot of people like to say, oh, that's it, we've got it all now on Linux. So uh, let's hear what he had to say about gaming. What about gaming then? Did you try installing Steam and stuff? I did. You know, a couple of the games that were native for Linux were okay. I would say the performance was about the same as Windows. I want to say I have a bias towards Windows performance. I think that it performs better on games, but there's a really a big lack of games. And the fact that you have to use Proton or Wine or just there's things you have to deal with to even just play a game. To me, that wasn't a good desktop experience. I want to turn it on, click on uh, Steam or click on the game and just hit play and not deal with, okay, how do I get this to run at 60 frames a second at least? Right. I have a lot of issue with this. Yes, fair enough. We don't have everything and we certainly start from a disadvantage. But to say that he had to deal with Proton, you don't have to deal with Proton. You install it through Steam by clicking the install button after you've bought it and then you press the play button and there you go. And I've got about seven games so far, given I GTA 5 um, and a few other ones that we fellas into. So, I mean, yes, the range is minuscule in comparison because you've got to get the developers on board to either do native Linux or to approach with Proton. But I I don't know. I don't, I just don't think that there's definitely no difficulty in doing it. If you do get a game that you can install. And does he see it at a higher frame rate than other humans that he requires it to be such a high frame rate for his eyeballs? <laughs> Persistence of vision is 30 frames per second. <laughs> well, he, he complains later on that his screen frame rate is 144 Hertz. Yeah. And he gets tearing. <sighs> Yeah, exactly. I think the experience of most people, or rather the expectation of most people, is I'm going to double-click on the icon, and if it doesn't work, it's broken, and that's it, I'm done. And that is where Linux is different to Windows. With If you come with a Linux attitude, you say, oh, it doesn't work, I wonder why. And then you set about trying to fix it for days and days and days, and that's fun. Windows people, that's not part of their... Uh, sweeping generalization, I know, but that's not part of their their thinking. They don't expect that. They expect to double-click and for it to work. 
Yeah, like he says, it's not a good desktop experience. Failing, I would argue that setting up of the Proton and stuff is more hassle than most normal people want to deal with. But because you're so competent with Linux, it's it's easy for you. But someone who's new to it, it's not so easy. It's it's a barrier to entry. What setting up a proton? There was no setting up a proton. Really? <laughs> I mean, just, it's not... just part of it. No, it's it's part of the uh, install now. When you do, you just do. I can't even remember how I installed Steam to be quite honest, but I'm pretty sure it was just a apt get away. And then it's now all part of Steam thing, and they update that routinely. Um, and you can, from a drop down within Steam, pick the version of the library that you want to run against the uh, game. But it's not every game. No, no, you're right. It's not every game. And I mean, that that's always going to be the case when you're not first mover advantage. You know, uh, they've obviously got a massive lead time of all the years that they've had games available straight away. But if you look at some of the games that are available on Steam Play, it has to look to a developer where they can go, oh, I do zero work and I get this for free. But it's about consistency of experience. And if it doesn't work for every single game that a user tries, then it's broken. And that's what we're dealing with. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in. And so people will try it and they'll try their obscure game and it won't work. And therefore the whole thing's no no use. But his beef is with the developer of the game, not Linux. Linux is not at fault there. Yeah, but is Linux not at fault for not getting the developers on board? What did Barma say? Something about developers? Well, last time I checked, we don't have multiple trillions hidden away in the canonical war chest <laughs> that we can deploy. <laughs> But this is also the point that he made about the screensaver when he wanted to get the electric sheep screensaver running. How do we accommodate all of this? And or, um, oh God, what was the music? Winamp. He wanted Winamp. That actually triggers something. I just can't remember it since. Was there not a Linux version that looked like Winamp but had that same? XMMS had a Winamp skin. Oh, yes. Thank you. That cheesy <laughs> and, but, skin. We just, we just know these things. <laughs> I just don't know how we're going to satisfy all those. It's it's basically, you know, 15 years of his Windows use. Um, and I just don't, we can't compete with that. Yeah. All right. Well, I asked him about the Raspberry Pis that he's got. And he said that he's actually got three of them. I think he gave one away. So he's got two left or something. Um, and he's been playing a little bit with Piehole and stuff. And so I asked him about his experiences there. And so have you had any sort of SSH experience with that? Or have you just used the web GUI and stuff? I learned how to do everything SSH, which I ended up liking a lot. And of course, uh, the fact that Windows 10 just has a Ubuntu distribution on the Windows Store, that helped out a lot. Didn't even have to VM. I guess I could do it from just PowerShell as well. I think all of these are options. And so there you have it. Is he not a typical Linux user at this point? Someone who uses it headless on a remote machine, SSH'd into it from a proprietary operating system, whether that's a Mac or Windows with the various ways you can do that. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I think that that's the the future of Linux that we're looking at, is that these sort of single-use Linux installations that, for example, run Pi-hole, that you SSH into and you use them and then you log out again. And maybe you've got quite a lot of those devices in your home or on your network or whatever it is, and that's fine. They're, they're self-contained, and you connect to them, you operate them, and then you disconnect, and you never need to get involved with all of the plumbing underneath. It's just a device on your network, and that's fine. But using it on the desktop, I think it's an uphill struggle. You say it's the future. It feels like the present to me. When I went to uh, a Linux meetup, my eyes were really opened to what Linux users are. And us desktop Linux users are not 
normal Linux users. We are a tiny niche within Linux use. Almost everyone who uses Linux uses it remotely and headless. And whether they're using various automation and orchestration tools, Kubernetes and Ansible, whatever, to, to run multiple servers, or whether it is a, a pie on the network or and everything in between, most people who use Linux are not using it on the desktop. And is that an issue? Should should we be trying to win them over on the desktop or should we just accept that it's this tiny niche thing that a tiny minority of people are going to do? Well, I really think that Linux, desktop Linux, is the best general purpose computing platform for doing all those things for the same reasons that makes like those headless um, SSH prompts so compelling and so useful. I Ultimately, I think it leads you to desktop Linux. Um, there's a lot more we could do. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen because we've been saying this for a long time, but I, I, I simply think it's the best operating desktop operating system. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but I feel that's a fundamental truth. Um, and, and we need, we can get there. It's not like we haven't got the capability. One of his complaints was something that I didn't have time to check out, but uh, let's have a listen to that. The fact that I would launch Firefox, and uh, if you do any search on DuckDuckGo, it would append a uh, canonical refer tag in the search. Really? It did, yeah. I've, I was freaking out about that. I was like, how can anyone say that this is a private, safe setup when it's literally hijacking right there? Like, it's showing, like, it's making sure that DuckDuckGo knows, oh, it came from canonical. Now, I just use Google, so uh, I don't, obviously don't care about privacy stuff. But um, is that true that it actually does that then with DuckDuckGo? Yeah, it is true. I, I tested it out after I, I listened to that, and it adds canonical to the referrer URL. You can see it in the URL bar. Right. Hmm. Um, if you choose DuckDuckGo as the search engine from within Firefox, obviously it won't happen if you add DuckDuckGo manually. Yeah, yeah, but he clearly did that. I've got a slight problem with that and the fact that if that's the one thing that it has caused you to question the security of an Ubuntu desktop, given the amount of metrics that a Windows 10 system spews back to Microsoft all the time, it's, it's the false equivalence that we seem to get. You know, FOSS has to be like holier than thou and the slightest transgression will be, oh, it's null and void now. Whereas, you know, I'm going to go back to my Windows 10, which, you know, God knows what amount of data gets sent back on that system. Is that like in Spinal Tap where they uh, get read all the bad reviews like shit sandwich and stuff and then there's one really long convoluted one and they just say, oh, well, that's just nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's move on, but uh, do check out the whole interview if you haven't yet. It's Late Night Linux Extra, Episode 7. We'll link to it in the show notes. Definitely worth a listen. And also check out the next episode, which will be coming out next week, where I'll be talking to Kyle about Zubuntu. The easiest way is get subscribed to the All Episodes feed. So if you just search your podcast player for Late Night Linux All Episodes, you should find it. And if not, there'll be a link to the RSS feed in the show notes. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Learned. Sign up at automation.link and use the code Late Night Linux before the end of August to upgrade and get free access to a beta of a new DevOps training site called Learned. The site covers the entire DevOps stack, starting with the basics of infrastructure as code, and includes almost eight hours of lessons on Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, and loads of industry tips along the way. If you're interested in learning DevOps, take advantage of this free offer by visiting automation.link and upgrade before the end of August with the code LATENIGHTLINUX. That's automation.link and the code LATENIGHTLINUX. 
On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It really is appreciated. And do remember that if you support us for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to learn about that, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do some Ask Us Anything Sensible questions. We've still got some of those left. Uh, The first one from Stuart. He says, is it okay for a corporation to have a public political view? And he's thinking about um, Black Lives Matter and inclusive language and stuff. The answer clearly is yes, it's okay for them to have the view. If you don't agree with it, then don't use their products and services. Simple as that. And if you do agree, then do it. And it's clearly a hedge from, you know, it's a bet from them that there's going to be more people who agree with them than disagree. And we've seen it with Mozilla recently. We talked about it on the last episode that they were taking a political stance against Facebook and that pissed some people off. But they're kind of figuring that it will piss off people they don't want, maybe. And I don't know. I mean, we on this show take a quite clear political view when it comes to Brexit, don't we? And that's probably pissed a lot of people off. But fuck it. We don't care. I think as long as you're honest, I think it's worse if someone says, oh, yeah, I support this and they don't really or vice versa. I think it's like you have to stick to your guns at some point. I can see it both ways. I think if you can afford to lose people, you know, it can be a good thing. But it, I mean, yeah, I mean, Linux Voice podcast, we lost lots of listeners by going on about Brexit. Remind me what happened with Linux Voice, Graham? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't stop the podcast because we lost 52% of the listenership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit, maybe we should be more politically neutral. We, we think Brexit is neither a good idea nor a bad idea. It's a, 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 do what you like, yeah. Now, if you ask me, do I think corporations should do this, then I would say probably not. It's probably better to just be politically neutral. Um, There's a very small business that my wife spends money with every week, and the lady who runs that is incredibly savvy. When any political topic comes up, she she just says, oh, I don't follow politics, not into politics. Um, She probably does have a clear view, but she knows that it's more sensible to just stay totally neutral because then you don't piss anyone off. But is it okay for them was the question. Well, of course it is. Do what you like. And I think a lot of businesses struggle. Once they have made a political stance on one thing, they then can't be seen to not make a political stance on the next thing. And so you end up with quite a lot of businesses just trotting out whatever the current political view is and having an opinion on it, whether or not it matters. And I think that that detracts from what they're supposed to be doing, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, the next one is from Itai. Itai. Sorry, don't know how to pronounce that. What are your thoughts on Nixos and Geeks, the GUIX or whatever? Do you think that type of package management could become more mainstream in the future? And this is the idea, I think, of just having like all the dependencies in one sort of isolated folder. It's just a different way of doing packaging, which is it's never really taken off, has it? Well, unless you consider Docker to be one. Mm. <laughs> That's true. Or Snaps, maybe. Maybe that idea has been taken and evolved into other ways that are more mainstream. Yeah, I would say it has. Um, I, I mean, I'm not overly keen on it, but I can see how it can be useful to segregate stuff away. Um, I still think it's a, a ropey security standpoint if things are not getting updated within the container, like the software might be up to date, but the library it depends on might not be. 
Um, but yeah, it's kind of the way things have gone. Okay, this episode is sponsored by TrueNAS from iX Systems. Go to truenas.com. TrueNAS and FreeNAS have now unified as TrueNAS, the number one open storage OS. TrueNAS uses the power and reliability of OpenZFS to bring open source economics to enterprise-grade unified storage, with support for file, block, object, and app storage. You can use the free TrueNAS Core Edition or invest in a TrueNAS Enterprise system. Coming soon is TrueNAS Scale, which provides open, hyper-converged infrastructure with support for Linux containers, and you can follow the development, try out, and contribute to this exciting project. Check out truenas.com and see how TrueNAS can support your next storage project, whether it's just a few terabytes, all the way up to multiple petabytes. That's truenas.com. All right, well, we don't have a KDE corner to finish on this time, but we've got uh, Phelim's RSI corner to talk about instead. <laughs> Phelim's aching, burning wrist joint and shoulder, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have a desk setup that I have modified over the past while, and progressively I've been getting more shoulder pain from using and, and sort of pain from my carpal tunnel in my wrist. So I went out and I bought myself a vertical mouse and I also stuck a kind of higher raised wood plinth on my desk so I could lift my super cheap Amazon monitor stands that don't go very far up a bit so I can then have my monitors even higher up. And uh, after about three weeks of it, I think it helps despite the fact that I get a really bad burn on the knuckle of my wrist joint as it whizzes across the uh, the mouse mat thing. But I'm sure that's just a case of getting that sorted out. So a vertical mouse is just a normal mouse, but turned through almost 90 degrees clockwise. 53 and a half, I think mine is. Ah, okay. And so it's a much more natural, like that's where your hands would be if you put them out in front of you. Yeah, like go to shake hands with somebody and the position you find your hand in, it's just a fraction more rolled uh, onto the flat than that. But yeah, close to it. Yeah, well, if you sort of put your hands just out in front of you, then they naturally sit. Yeah, I can see that's about 50-something degrees, yeah. If you're driving now, put your hands back on the wheel, please. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that does feel more natural to me. But I just, I don't think I could get used to it. How long did it take to get used to it? Literally... Minutes. The only thing that's a bit weird is when I'm doing a middle click to do a copy paste in a terminal, um, where you're clicking on the wheel button, uh, is a bit odd because I put a bit of downward pressure on it still, but, uh, ah, it's not that big a deal. I don't do it that often anyway. Ah, no, that's something I do for scrolling a lot is click the mouse wheel and then drag down. You freak. What? <laughs> Just roll the wheel with your finger, for God's sake. Yeah, but okay, if you want to scroll down a bit, then the wheel makes sense. But if you want to scroll down a shitload, then you just tap the wheel, drag it down, and boom, you're right at the bottom. But only in Firefox. What? Okay, well, clearly with your mouse setup, I've never seen that, even in Firefox. I think they've actually made it not default in Firefox, so you have to change some setting to make it happen. But believe me, once you do that, you never go back. All right, okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, But I also found that I was, like, this from about a year ago, I also found I was stretching out too far to the right now when i say stretching out too far to the right like literally we're talking centimeters here and uh having a numeric keypad on my keyboard was driving me nuts so i got a 10 keyless one as well where it's essentially the numeric keypad chopped off so i can get the mouse closer to the uh, to the right or to the left sorry 
And uh, that that's made a difference too. And I, I can't touch type properly, so you know, all these fancy curved ones just it's just not gonna work. Are you able to play your flight sim with it? Yeah. Uh, well, I use a joystick for that, in all fairness. But yeah, if I'm using some, a mouse for something uh, like even a FPS, yeah, totally. I had um, similar problems, really quite bad pain in my elbow. Um, and actually, I was speaking to uh, Nick Feach, and he'd had the same problems and been for like scans and things. And he, he recommended um, a Logitech wireless trackball. And I was a bit skeptical, but I... I I got one. I also 3D printed a stand so that it was up to about 50 degrees. <laughs> of course you um, did. <laughs> and it, 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 it took about two months, but the pain was keeping me up at night and the pain went. Wow. It made a huge difference. I mean, there, there could be, I mean, it's a thumb trackball, so there could be problems down the line with my thumb, but um, <laughs> I've, I don't move my hands now. I have. I also have mouse keyboard shortcuts on the keyboard for doing like, for skipping the mouse cursor around. Um, so I try not to move my hands too much. And if I do, then they stay in one place when they get on the trackball. That's really helped. Uh, no pain, no gain. <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't it DRSI? Isn't that like a, a, a sign to you to get up and go for a walk for a bit or something? Lies. Do, do people in coal mines have to get a chance to get up? No, they don't. <laughs> the body just gets on with it. So, so will I. Fair enough. I, I just don't think I could get used. I'm so set in my ways. I don't mind what keyboard it is as long as it's just a normal flat one. I couldn't just get with the ergonomic split ones and these fancy mice with that are on a funny angle and trackballs and stuff. I just My mouse was 15 euros. I think you could just take a risk. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll have to give it a go. Ho- hopefully to prevent RSI in the first place because touch wood, I've not had too much of that. Maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I don't spend enough time in front of the computer. What are you saying about my habits? (laughs) Give it another 10 years. (laughs) All right, well, let's get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks when who knows what we'll be talking about because it'll be a month for us, I think. But uh, (laughs) let's not get too bogged down with time travel. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.